This is Global Marxism. I am Frank Goss. I appreciate your participation and hope this information provides you with food for thought as we consider the confusion we're facing in America today. Most of us have no idea what Marxism actually is. We need to define terms, not according to our opinions, but based on proven fact. Our politicians are telling us, you're as free as we say you are. Now, how can this even be possible? Let's back up and consider our history. Let's look and see what is meant when Barack Obama said that he wanted to fundamentally change America. Let's see if these things are indeed remotely possible. One of the things that has astounded me in the past few weeks is that I'm beginning to understand what our nation truly stands for. When I was a kid, you'd walk in and you'd hear somebody say something stupid. You'd say, hey, what is the big idea? And when we think of America, most Americans do not think in the realm of ideas. We've become a very self-centered culture. Our nation revolves around our very personally designed world. It's me, mine, mine. Recently, we're seeing a few mothers and fathers express concern that go beyond the frontiers of personal family life and freedom. But actually... These concerns are manifested due primarily to the assault that is being made on the minds of our children, which is essentially an assault on the idea of the nuclear family, which, driven to the basic rudimentary things, is me, my, mine. But these are very real concerns that must be addressed. If they're doing this to me, my, and mine, what will they do to you and yours? Or his? Or hers? What will they do? So there is beginning to be formed a coalition of ideas that are unified in thought and that are uniting in a direction. And this is very, very encouraging. But what is the big idea? What is the thing that we need to concentrate on? What are the real concerns that must be addressed? Our nation should be outraged. And this outrage should be visible and acted upon for others to see. Today, we have the extreme radical Marxist movements that are blanketing the nation. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and the liberals in Congress and the Senate. It's really an amazing thing to see. They're arguing from a negative side. They hate our system. They hate the idea of America. Then there are those who stood up in Virginia and said no. They took courage. Courage begets courage, just as much as violence begets violence, and cowardice invites cowardice. There are impediments which have been established for quite some time to our liberty. Our government has become far more overreaching than it ever should have been allowed. Big government in America began under the rule in the reign of Theodore Roosevelt. He was a beloved man. Our nation really was enamored with his independent spirit and his willingness to go up against the big guy. Many refer to Teddy as the good Roosevelt, and they view his cousin, Franklin Roosevelt, as the one who expanded the overreaching arms of government. Few realize the impact Teddy had on his cousin's views. Teddy Roosevelt felt that the government had the responsibility and duty to restrict income by allowing extremely high taxes. It was Franklin who applied these principles. Teddy, who was greatly admired and highly respected, as we mentioned, literally reinterpreted the Constitution to permit a great expansion of executive power. He felt what was written in the 18th century needed to be reconsidered, revised, and revisited. 
It was Teddy that ushered in a ruling by fiat, which we now call executive orders, which allowed for him to bypass congressional processes. To illustrate the point, consider that from Abraham Lincoln, who was confronted with the implosion of the nation during the Civil War, through William McKinley, who held office prior to Theodore Roosevelt, there were only 158 total combined executive orders issued. Ten chief executives passed through the Oval Office following constitutional protocol and following the law. Roosevelt, during his seven-year tenure, issued 1,007 executive orders. Theodore Roosevelt, by all accounts, played off his enormous appeal and exercised his authority as no president had ever done prior to his appearance. He, by self-promotion, became the first president to rule by fiat. He did have some pushback from Congress at times, but not a great deal. Boldly expressed his opinion when he said Congress must obey the president. This attitude extended to the Supreme Court as well. And due to the lack of historical accuracy that has plagued our educational system for well over a century, most Americans are repulsed by the idea that Theodore Roosevelt literally believed that he was similar to Alexander the Great in his power. Roosevelt wanted to invade Canada and claim it for America, as well as Cuba, Puerto Rico, and even the Philippines. Prior to Theodore Roosevelt, Americans' foreign policy was not given to intervention in other country affairs, except on exceptional occasions when our national interest was threatened. Under Teddy, intervention became the rule. Read his historical biography and consider what he did in Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, Panama, and Colombia. Consider what he did here at home. He expanded governmental powers to cover agriculture, irrigation, to the point where the government now holds a dam-building monopoly through the Bureau of Reclamation. He developed the idea that government held the right to determine how land was going to be used. Individual landowners were pushed aside during his tenure in office, which removed the idea of private ownership of land. You own what we tell you you can own until we want it. By fiat, he took land from the public and gave it to the Department of Agriculture and managed it through the United States Forest Service. A lot of Americans do not know that today, in 2021, the government controls almost one-third of the land mass in the United States. Today, we are becoming more aware of Marxism. Mark Levin has published a book entitled American Marxism, which has sold well over one million copies within the first few months of publication. This is a very live topic today. Many, however, tend to think that this trend towards Marxism has begun recently, and that is wrong. Marxism has been admired and considered by politicians and intellectuals in academia since its introduction. German philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel was well known and is considered one of the most important figures in German idealism and the rudimentary idealist behind Marxism. Doubtlessly, he was deeply influenced by Jean-Jacques Rousseau and the politics of Maximilien Robespierre. Many consider him to be one of the founding fathers of Western philosophy, taking in ontology and politics, and if you understand anything about Marxism, you understand his ontological views towards history and materialism. Others, such as Karl Marx and Friedrich Nietzsche and Karl Barth and Antonio Gramsci, Heidegger, they all cite Hegel as a foundational leader, referring to his ideas as the completion of philosophy. 
Herbert Marcuse, a true villain of all that is good, said of Hegel, There is no other philosophy which is so much in its innermost impulses imbued with revolution as that of George Hegel. If we consider Hegel's surroundings, he personally felt the impact of the French Revolution. He felt and experienced the overthrow of the old regime in France, the revolutionary wars of Napoleon and his defeat. These all provided intellectual ideas for Hegel, and ideas that stood behind Marx and Engels' books, Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto. And Hegel also was the impetus behind Vladimir Lenin. Hegelian ideology lends itself towards revolution, indeed. A contemporary who had a tremendous impact at that time was a guy named Edmund Burke. Now, Burke held to tradition and natural order. He's considered to be the father of conservatism. They're embodied in the customs and manners of tradition. These principles stood in direct opposition to revolutionary principles, which would bring about disaster, and which have brought about disaster. I don't know the mind of Hegel, but I can point out from a historical point of view that Whenever his principles have been applied, though altered a bit here and there, chaos has come, which is followed by disaster. Hegel had no misconceptions regarding the transcendency of man. What was evident and rational is all that mattered. Rationality to Hegel was reality. If it's irrational, it's to be rejected. Reality is, by the way, what you can see, hear, taste, and smell. We must live rational lives based in reality. Therefore, religion is an illusion, a series of stories and dreams designed to fill the mind of ignorant men and women, and a means of intellectual suppression and dissolution. Therefore, religion and the authority that it packs must be rejected. The Christian idea of God must be redefined. God has to be controlled under the Hegelian view. This is extremely critical in our way of thinking. As a man perceives God to be, his actions and behaviors will follow. Hegel disavowed conventional views about God. He rejected the Christian presentation. Hegelian philosophy deeply contributed to Germany's theological views that we know as higher criticism. Eventually, the higher criticism ideas came over to America and were taught in our seminaries. And thus, we have liberal theology today. Hegel saw God as the ultimate reality one could experience. God was not a being. A being is limited to space and time. So to think of God as a being would be a misinterpretation. God was an intellectual reality, something that you could attain to with proper understanding and teaching. It was a method of thinking. In that there is nothing new under the sun, Hegelian thought regarding the metaphysical ideas seems to lend itself more towards Gnosticism, which has been around for quite a while. Locating God, according to Hegel, comes through a process of understanding which takes into account the entire world and matter and nature. Hence, we come to an understanding of historical materialism and how historical materialism guides all that we say and do. Now, when we think of materialism, it's not a matter of greed and avarice and things that I have. The idea of historical materialism is what motivates and pushes Karl Marx and his minions. Now we're stepping into the ideas espoused by Marxism and embraced by the American Marxist intellectual. Personally, I, I admire Edmund Burke, and I do not profess any allegiance at all to George Hegel. I am, really, a revolutionary in one sense. I follow Jesus of Nazareth, who said that he was going to build his assembly, his church. He was going to build his organization on his principles, 
and the gates of hell itself would not overcome it. Communism has proven to be oppressive, repressive, and murderously evil at every historical marker provided. It flows back to Nimrod and even as far back as Cain. There's nothing new here and nothing worth holding on to. It reflects nothing but anger and rage. What we do have as a nation is an idea. Now, I started off saying, what is the big idea? And as a kid, we used to ask that, hey, buddy, what's the big idea? Well, we have a nation that's an idea, an idea that's been developed and expressed in these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These words are not divine. They're not holy writ. However, they do point men to a place of peace and safety, a brotherhood of like-minded individuals, to a country whose foundations have been established on fundamental Judeo-Christian values and principles, a country that has been lavishly blessed by the hand of God himself. This idea points us to a place that de Tocqueville called good. America is not heaven, but it has served as a safe haven to millions. It has served as a breadbasket for the nations for centuries. It has served as a refuge for many who have been seriously oppressed, tortured, abused by tyrannical governments, governments aligned with progressive ideals expressed by Marx and Engels and Hegel and Carl Schwab and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Barack Obama. America, though, has been good and strong. And yet, it truly is a concept. It's an idea expressed. Freedom and liberty were given place here, and they thrived. Those days seem like a memory now. My children have to look back and read about this nation, for recent history disavows the place I'm speaking of. I read about these things in selected history books, books the revisionists have yet to pervert. You really have to research the author and carefully consider what's being said. When looking at true history, you're looking for facts, figures, not conjecture and opinion not for political coloring. I admire the history presented by Alan Eckert, the way he presents the efforts and the sacrifice of those who paved the way for freedom, of our founders and the courage they displayed. Freedom was a longing of their hearts, but it was by no means free for the taking. These men formed a nation that has blessed the world based on the ideas that burn within their hearts and minds. It has not been easy at any point, and good ideas, no matter what they are, are very difficult to realize. If you wish to waste your time and truly pollute your mind, read Howard Zinn's Marxist depiction of America. Read about America through the eyes of one who truly has a hatred for her free market capitalism, for nationalism and freedom and individual liberty. Howard Zinn has done his part to help destroy America and to distort the idea of liberty, life, and the pursuit of happiness. America has been good and blessed, and through the concerted efforts of men like Teddy Roosevelt and the introduction of big government, excessive greed of the robber barons, Ford, Carnegie, Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, J.P. Morgan, along with the cooperation and contributions of John Dewey, leaving his Marxist imprint of pragmatism in the American educational system, we've lost sight of what brought us here. What we know now is far from where William Bradford, John Carver, and Edward Winslow stood as they lived Holland. They were stretching and reaching for freedom. Today, we're led away from freedom. We're being led to a place we really don't want to go. 
The problem is we're passively allowing all of this to happen to us. We are the sheeple of the United States of America. I cited a minute ago Alexis de Tocqueville, who we love to quote when it comes to America. We like to speak of his ideas on America exceptionalism. But he had a great deal more to say regarding our democratic republic. De Tocqueville warned of a new kind of tyranny and despotism that would come under a modern democracy, which would have far-reaching consequences on American civic life. He saw what we could easily see now, what was to come. Freedom, once attained, developed, and matured, is born in the heart of the founder. Transferring that desire for freedom to the ensuing generations is where the challenge would be found. People tend to become comfortable, content, fat, and lazy. The burning desire for liberty is lost on the following generations. Why long for what has already been attained and established? The idea of America will dim as greed and personal wealth smother the flames that once warmed the hearts of the men in Trenton. Self-government will be abandoned, for the seats of power will be ignored. There will come a time when you will be led to places you don't desire to go. De Tocqueville said democracy extends the sphere of individual freedom. Socialism restricts it. Democracy attaches all possible value to each man. Socialism makes each man a mere agent, a mere number. Democracy and socialism have nothing in common, but one word, equality. But notice the difference. While democracy seeks equality and liberty, socialism seeks equality in restraint and servitude. I look at my neighbor, he's a slave just like me. He pays the taxes just like me. He is restricted and regulated just like me. In this sense, we're equal. Society will develop, according to Tocqueville, a new kind of servitude, which covers the surface of society with a network of complicated rules through which the most original minds and the most energetic characters can't penetrate. It does not tyrannize, but it compromises, it compresses, innervates, extinguishes, and stupefies the people, till each nation is reduced to nothing better than a flock of timid, industrious animals, sheeple, of which the government is the shepherd. And we look up and realize they don't have to obey the rules that they've pressed upon us. These are the chosen few. These are Plato's warrior king. The Tuckle said this years ago. Does it sound familiar? He said, tyranny in democratic republics, such as we have here in the United States, goes straight for the soul. The master no longer says, you will think as I do or die. He says, you're free to think as you wish to think. You don't have to think like I do. You can keep your life, your property, and everything else. But from this day on, You'll be a stranger among us. You'll retain your civic privileges, but they won't be of any use to you. We will limit you. If you seek the votes of your fellow citizens, they're not going to give them to you. And if you seek only their esteem, they'll refuse even that. Sure, you can remain among our people, but you will forfeit your rights to humanity. When you approach your fellow citizens, they'll shun you as one who is impure. And even those who believe in your innocence will abandon you lest they too will be shown. Today our politicians who have gained their place through infamous means and questionable practice tell us without hesitation, go in peace. I will not take your life. But the life I'm going to leave you is going to be worse than death. Can you see these things? Can you see their effects? Can you feel them? You work hard for what you earn. 
But the government has discovered that they can easily come in and pick your pocket through excessive taxation. They can break you down through the manipulation of the economy, and they can drive you mad through their constant misrepresentation of truth. They control the media. They control the schools. They control the government. They control corporate America. Can you say that you're not experiencing these things? Winston Churchill said, it's better to perish than to live as slaves. What would you say? The many will say, just leave me alone. But those who can see and understand, they say, not on my watch. What do you say? This podcast is brought to you through Vintage Broadcasting. We appreciate your participation and hope that you continue with us in the days to come. Thank you very much.